Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football, just a few days away from Pac-12 Media Days. And this is the day we start our previews for all the teams, all 12 teams, not today. But we're going to start the previews today, Dave. No, yeah, we're definitely not doing 12-team previews today, but we will do <laughs> UCLA and USC. Um, I actually almost screwed up the preamble for this show because I did a broadcast yesterday, and oh. uh, my brain is broken. So that was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very exciting. We're in, we're in, we're in the end game of this uh, summer heading into fall. Yeah, I think we did a pretty good job over the offseason talking about soccer and Star Wars and everything. Now we're going to talk games, we're going to talk teams, we're going to talk predict, we're going to have predict, projections, predictions, wow. all kinds of whatever. I don't Pre- know. Predictions. Pro- predictions. Predictions. I am just so, you know, behind the curtain, I'm Dave and I are both doing a West Coast podcast on the East Coast. Uh I'm in my childhood home in uh, Massachusetts, back visiting for the weekend. I still but haven't still... adjusted to East Coast time after going to California a week and a half ago. My my laptop says it's 5.07 a.m. right now on the West Coast. So, you know, no, I've, I've been here two days, Dave. It's not like I got here a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, but we have, okay, so just if you want to email us your questions and stuff, try to keep them team preview things if you can. Uh, Pac12podcast at gmail.com is our email, uh, our Twitter. You can tweet us at Pac12Podcast. The website where all of our shows are archived, Pac12Podcast.com. And if you'd like to text us or leave us a voicemail, the number is 424-532-0678. I don't think we could play a voicemail today because I'm not in my normal setup. But uh, yeah, so if we sound a little different, I'm sitting on a bed with my laptop. Dave, not sure where he is, somewhere on a... You know, you taking a cruise. What are you doing, Dave? You're doing something fun, right? I'm not doing anything, but I am <laughs> recording this a little bit differently from the last time I recorded. So you'll probably, 
I will sound a little bit better, but you are going to pick up a little bit of background noise, people. I'm going to try to minimize it in what we in the industry call post, um, but uh, it's it, it might pick up a little bit of background noise because I'm just using my computer mic instead of the fancy mic that apparently isn't very good. So there you go. We'll, we'll see how this goes. This yeah. Um, real quick, I didn't even mention this in our preamble of the show. Dave and I spend a couple hours um, getting ready for the show. Well, okay, maybe a couple <laughs> seconds. Um, so I'm here in Massachusetts, and I get like a tweet. Uh, I see a tweet um, from my buddy Dan Weber. You know, he writes for me at uscfootball.com. He happened to go on the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday. Hey, he that's a- big. He wrote a column about how the Pac-12 will never be able to catch up to the SEC, the way the two leagues are going. And apparently it got to the Feinbaum people, and he was in the, during their second hour. This will be on Friday the 20th. So I still – I'm here. I still haven't listened to it yet. And I was like, uh, Dan, you're on the Feinbaum show? Like I did that show like way back in the day when Lane Kiffin – uh, was hired because they wanted to talk about Tennessee and all that kind of stuff. Um, but so he wrote this column and I haven't, you know, I haven't even checked it out yet. Cause I've just been here on vacation, uh, basically scathing about the pack 12 and fine bomb, I guess liked it and had him on. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's catnip for, for fine bomb. Oh, <laughs> the sec, the sec is going to be superior indefinitely. Great. Have him on, have him on immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, and the other thing we wanted to do is uh, we did our our previews, uh, or not our previews, our projections, predictions of who's going to finish where in the Pac-12. And Dave and I wanted to reveal that today for all you guys. So did you go, so with mine, I went full spreadsheet, did the whole thing, you know, wins and losses, that whole deal. Did you do that or did you just kind of eyeball it? No, I, I bought like it, for the the Pac-12. I haven't, yeah, I haven't got got dug in that deep yet. I want to do that, but I haven't done that yet. Um, basically, for what we have to send in for the preseason poll is just who you think is going to finish first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth in the North and the South, and then you uh, pick who's going to win the conference. So that's that's kind of what we do. All right. So how should we unveil? Should we start with our our our, our number six team in the South? Uh, yeah, we could do that. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, I went Colorado. Wow. Your favorite buffs. Yeah. I've got them at three and nine overall and two and seven in league with wins in league over Oregon state and Washington state. All right. This doesn't make me feel good, but I went with our buddy Herm. I went Arizona state. I know Manny Wilkins back. Like, it's just I think they're going to be better, but at the end of the day, I kind of just feel like Colorado is going to make a little bit of stride. And it, I'm going with my gut, so I'm saying Arizona State six. I respect it. Um, so then I've got essentially a three-way tie between um, the third, fourth, and fifth teams, but fifth due to tiebreaker, I've got Utah um, at seven and five overall, but four and five in conference um, wins over. Just because there's going to be random stuff. Wins over USC, Arizona, Colorado, and Oregon, but losses to Washington State, Washington, Stanford, ASU, and UCLA. Holy cow, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
this is okay. Ours are going to be so different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I have UCLA fifth. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I just my my gut is it's going to be a bad 2018, but a good 2019. So I'm yeah, going completely with. justifiable. All right. Um, at number four in that tie break is ASU um, five and seven overall, four and five in conference. I've got them with wins over Utah, Colorado, Oregon State, and Stanford. Just kind of one of those random things that happen. Um, but losses to Washington, Oregon, Arizona, USC, and UCLA. Nice. I love that you've projected the whole thing out already. Oh, yeah. I did it, the whole did you, damn thing. Did, so you did a column for bro for this? or No, I just posted it on the message board. But I'll probably, okay. do, I'll probably do a little piece of content maybe Monday or whatever. Maybe the day before media day. Okay. It's nice that you did this too and, and didn't tell me, hey, I'm going to project all the... No, I just like to make you look like a dumbass. It's great. <laughs> Um, I have Colorado fourth. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that would be like virtual time. Like it didn't go in in that much detail, but they're pretty close. Like four, five and six for me were all kind of close. Like I thought they would all be, um, three and six ish in, in, in conference. So, but I would go Colorado at four. All right. And then I've got UCLA number three. Again, they're just the top of that three way tie. Um, I've got them beating ASU, Utah, Colorado, and Cal, and I have them u- losing to USC, Arizona, Oregon, Stanford, and Washington. Homerism, man. I know, uh, just blatant homerism. Oh, and sorry, so for, that's that's six and six, four and five. Six and six, four and five. Okay. Um, so for me, I kind of had a top three and a bottom three, and the bot- they were all pretty close for me. I'm I pick, picking Arizona to be third. Uh, I do think the Khalil Tate factor, Kevin Sumlin will come in, and I don't think there'll be that big of a transition. And we really liked a lot of the defensive pieces they had. The young guys uh, put that together. I, I think they can make a run at it, but I'm I just couldn't pull a trigger and put them over my top two teams. Okay, I've got Arizona at in my number two slot. Um, their schedules are really soft, so I've got them going nine and three overall and seven and two in conference. Wow! Nice. Um, so their only two losses, I have them losing to USC and Utah, but beating uh, UCLA, ASU, Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, and Washington State. I mean, they avoid Washington and Stanford. And their yeah. non-conference is pretty soft. I think they've got a matchup with Houston, but otherwise, um, pretty cakey. So, uh, I think they'll, um, they'll they're going to have a really good season if they're anything even close to what we think talent-wise. Yeah, and they're um, I think it's week five. They host USC, and they'll be USC will come off road trips to Stanford, Texas, and then a Washington State Friday home game. So. If USC kind of gets through that, like you'll probably feel pretty good about yourself. That could be a huge trap game going to Arizona. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's some potential pitfalls there. I picked my second team. I picked USC. Um, I still think they're the most talented team in the division, but something's we'll see. I mean, my maybe my thoughts will change uh, as you see fall camp, and but there there's some questions there, uh, but a lot of talent. Um, but yeah, I. It was tough for me. It was kind of toss up between one and two, but I'm I'm picking the Trojans second. And USC is my number one team in the South. Um, again, schedule softness um, plays a big role here, and that's obviously not the non-conference, but the conference they avoid Oregon and Washington. So I have them going eight and four overall, but seven and two in conference with the tiebreak over Arizona. 
Um, so I have them losing two games out of conference. I think it was Texas and Notre Dame. Um, but uh, I've got them beating UCLA, Arizona, ASU, Colorado, Oregon State, and Cal, but losing to Utah and Stanford. Oh, and also beating Washington State. Um, but I think they're going to be, I mean, obviously the most talented team in the league. Um, and the schedule, if they had, you know, Washington, if they, if they even changed out Washington for Washington State, I wouldn't have them winning the conference. But just avoiding Washington and Oregon, that's just great scheduling for the year where you're trying to do a change out at quarterback. Yeah, uh, that certainly is a, is a benefit there. It'll be an interesting race. Um, I have Utah, number one. So wow. I, I, I think when, yeah, so you had a fifth. I'm interested uh, to see what you end up doing once you've um, broken it down by game by game, because their schedule is just tough. Like the it's two, really it, the two they avoid are Cal and Oregon State. Yeah, um, it's certainly a tough schedule, but I just for whatever reason there's a gut feeling that this is going to be Kyle Whittingham's year to kind of break through. Um, I, you know, you like what Tyler Huntley brings to the table. They're always going to have great line play. I think we talked about it when we were doing the spring game, like. Just watching the way they just seemed like a well put together team, and it's a team that you know you see finish second and stuff in the South a lot. And uh, this was the year I thought they they might pull through. But you're right. I mean, it is their their schedule, especially compared to Arizona, is is pretty brutal. But I just think they can handle the teams in the South. You know, I think they have a. You, I think you predicted that they would uh, beat USC. Um, I, I think they could run the the table in the South. Uh, and then, you know, try to squeak a win or two out of the North teams you play, which, you know, obviously it's a tough, it's a tough group they play. Yeah. And I think, um, when I'm looking at it, I think I've identified the swing team in the North. If Cal is a whole hell of a lot better than people are expecting, I've got them at, uh, just a quick little spoiler. I've got them at seven and five, four and five in conference. If they're a lot better than that, to the point where they are giving all of the South teams a lot of trouble. That could change the balance because Utah and ASU both avoid them, whereas USC has to play them, Arizona has to play them, and there's a chance Cal's decent to good this year. Yeah. Um, so if Cal is able to give USC a lot of trouble or Arizona a lot of trouble, that could shift things um, quite a bit. Um, if, if, you know, if they're able to beat either of those teams because Utah does get to avoid them, so um, you know maybe that ends up being a factor. I think that's going to be the challenge for, for Wilcox too, is like, I think they will be an upset potential team, but can you be fairly consistent and not get upset yourself? You know, and if they're able to do that, then, then that's like kind of taking the next step where if they beat the teams, they should, and then beat a couple teams that probably they shouldn't. I mean, that's a recipe for, you know, building on and, and trying to take that next step where we're get the Ryan Gorsey 11 wins sort of thing. And you know, the following year, but I think, <laughs> There's that potential there. Uh, it's a, it's one of those wild card teams in the North. I would agree with you there. All right. Should we do the North? Yeah. All right. You want to start with your sixth team? Sure. Uh, it's probably not a big surprise. Um, Oregon State Beavers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Of, I mean, you know, I, I think you you hope that they, they what they're they can start building something there, but it's like they're basically starting from scratch. You know, so it's just it's yeah. I. You hope you love you love Angie, you love everyone that covers the Beavers. Uh, but I just it's hard to predict them to do anything else besides finish last in the north. 
Yeah, I I went through, and it's probably unfair. They're probably going to sneak one or maybe even two out, but I have them 0-9 in conference. Um, I just don't think, I mean, I think the one game they could potentially win is Colorado, but even that, I'm having a hard time seeing it. Um, I think Cal took a step up, so I don't think they're going to be super competitive with Cal. Washington State is interesting. We don't know what to make of Wazoo this year yet. Um, and ASU, I, I, I suppose, is winnable in a sense. But you're really scraping at that point. Um, Oregon State's just way behind talent-wise. They're breaking in a new coach. I just I, I, I don't know it. Um, so I have them 2-10 overall, 0-9 in conference. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think this is one of those things where it's it's sort of like you're rebuilding like what, what's going to see at UCLA, but... Usually starting with a hell of a lot more talent. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I think from the people you talk to, it seems like it's going to be something that's going in the right direction, but it really is starting from a lower point. And in a year or two, I think you could be at a, a much better place, but I, it's hard for me to predict that they're going to be in that better place in 2018. Yeah. Um, number fifth? five. Yeah. Fifth. What do you have? I have uh, Washington State. Um, liked a lot of what they did last year. I just think it's going to be a, a fairly, you know, big step backwards uh, this season. Figuring out what's going on with the quarterback spot. It, I know Mike Leach is a quarterback whisperer, and he can he can fix a lot of things. But it just seems to me like it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a rough one up there in Pullman. Yeah, and they avoid the wrong end of the South teams. Um, they have to play USC and Arizona, and they avoid UCLA and ASU. Um, so that's not great. Um, I have Washington State number five as well. Um, I have them going six and six overall, three and six in conference. So I have them with wins over Utah, Oregon State, and Cal. Um, losses to Washington, Stanford, Oregon, Colorado, Arizona, and USC. Um, so that's. It's going to be, I mean, I, I think getting to 6-6 six and six this year, given everything that's happened, I think that'll, that, that's not that's not a bad result, I think. I think that's, you know, that's a sign that they've kind of, you know, figured some things out this year. Yeah, I think if you're, that's not terrible. I think you expect some sort of regression, but if you're able to finish 6-6 six and six and then move forward, um, it's sort of, you, you, you don't lower the platform too much where you have to jump back up a lot higher in 2019. So I think that would be, that'd be fine. You come back a little bit, but you still have a good base there. And I yeah. think what Leach is doing, you have a good base. Um, yeah, I have Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard for me to put them in the top. I had a pretty clear top three, so similar to what I had uh, in the South, but I agree with you a hundred percent that this is, could be an X factor team. Um, I mean, what if Cal beats Washington, you know, like, could that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the potential there. I mean, I, I, Really love the staff that Justin Wilcox has put together. It seems like he's building up things. I'm just not sure if it's going to get there yet, but um, I, I just think they have a lot of potential to to surprise us. Um, it's hard. I'm not going to pick them in the top three, but I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up in the top half of the division. Yeah, I actually have Cal beating Washington as um, preview wow. of Washington's lone loss in conference. Um, just kind of one of those random occurrences, but I think they they could do it. Um, it's, I believe, yeah, it's at Cal this year, so, you know, it could get weird. Um, I do have Cal number four as well. Um, I have them seven and five um, overall, four and five in conference. Um, 
I have them with wins over Colorado, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington. So playing a little bit of a spoiler role um, this year, but losses to Washington State, uh, Arizona, USC, UCLA, and Oregon. Um, so kind of a mixed bag for them this year. I, I could easily see it going a much better way or a significantly worse way. Um, they are kind of in that, I feel like, in a kind of a swing position. Um, if they're not improved from last year, if they're just kind of the same, some of these wins I'm projecting are definitely going to be losses, particularly against Stanford and Washington. Um, but if they have made some strides, I think they're a dangerous enough team. They've got a, you know, we've talked up their coaching staff so much, um, their coordinators. Um, I, I think there's the potential here for them to play a really significant role in the North standings, even if they aren't really in contention in the North. So I've got them fourth, but a very interesting fourth. Yeah, they're they're one of the more interesting teams this year for me. And this is a this is a team, if I'm not mistaken, has some you know long losing streaks. Uh, I don't know when the last time they beat Stanford was. It's been like 13 years since they beat USC. Like if you you could maybe it's a year you end one of those streaks or something like that. I mean, who knows? We'll see with with Cal or it just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, number three, uh, third, uh, another team that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, play better than we think. Oregon, um, you know, Justin Herbert's one of the best players in the country. Uh, I know there's coaching staff turnover, but I feel this is going to be similar to Arizona. I mean, this is different because it's not a new, it's, a, you know, someone that was already in-house. So you're kind of continuing what you were, you were building on. It shouldn't be too much of a disruption, but I think it's a talented team. I think they've recruited well. Um, some nice young pieces and, and you got Justin Herbert to kind of pull it all together. He stays healthy. I think they're going to be a, a, a tough team, a tough out for those, the, the power teams in the North, like Washington and Stanford. So I think they'll, they'll do enough to, to beat the teams they should. And potentially you upset Washington, something like that, then you can turn the whole division on its head. But uh, I, I've got them third, uh, certainly with the potential to be higher. Yeah, I, I think that's justifiable. I have Stanford third. Um, okay, I have them at seven and five overall, five and four in league. Um, I have them kind of a, a, you know weird results because um, I think Stanford has been prone to a couple of you know upsets over the last few years. Um, I have them beating UCLA, USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, but losing to ASU, Oregon, Cal, and Washington. Um, I, I, I've got just some concerns about Stanford's defensive line, how they're going to replace Harrison Phillips. And then, uh, the quarterback position, you know, we, we talked a little bit about on this show about, you know, KJ Costello missing spring ball, um, and the lack of healthy depth in the spring. I'm just, that's never a great thing. And I know people are talking about it like, oh, it's no big deal. It's spring ball. But when somebody has to miss a full month of practice and it's not like, during a season, I don't know. That's that's just a concern for me. Um, so I'm going to say uh, Stanford is maybe not at that peak level that we maybe expect from them. Um, but they, you know, I think that's that's not a sign of too much backsliding. Seven and five, five and four in conference. That shows they're still pretty strong. So um, yeah, I have them having a decent enough year, but not uh, quite up to the early Shaw era standards. Gotcha. I, totally justifiable. I agree too. Uh, I picked Stanford second. Um, if you recall, we were the only people that picked Stanford to win the North last year. Um, so we got it right, which was good, but 
I think you know, I don't think they're going to be able to get there uh, this year. But if you look at the team, David, and I know if you watch spring football, not having a quarterback for the whole team that kind of sucked, right? Like you, you can't really <laughs> like it, that's a little difficult. And it's not. And I agree with you. It, you can't just say it's nothing. You know, it's not the NFL where you miss like mini camp or something. I mean, I think there's significance to not being able to participate. Um, but there's some still some really good pieces there. And I know when you have to replace like Phillips, someone like that on the defensive line, they just seem to be able to do it in a way that they don't look very deep. There's like three or four guys uh, that you like in their front seven and they play the whole freaking game. And, and But they, they, they seem to stay healthy and, and are productive. And you, you worry, well, I'm worried about depth here or there. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to bother this team. So I, I don't think they're going to beat Washington this year, but um, I'm still going to put them second. Uh, it's one of those things where it's hard to, dart, to doubt, for me, to doubt David Shaw just because he, now he does some screw-ups. You know, there's some, you know, he lost to USC twice last year uh, and still won the North. But I think this is going to be a year where he's going to be able to beat a, a USC team early in the season. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a team where I think Washington's going to be good enough this year where uh, he won't be able to get over that hump. So I'm going to pick him second in the North. Cool. And I have um, the reason I have Stanford losing to ASU is I think that's like some weird Thursday night game in Tempe. Yeah, so I believe that's, you're right. Yeah. That's why I have them losing that one, just based on last year when basically everybody who was on the road in a weird time slot lost. Um, all right, and then uh, my number two is Oregon. Um, I have Oregon again. This is probably the benefit of the schedule they get UCLA instead of USC this year. Um, so that's. I don't know if it's a swing win from loss, but it's pretty close to that. I don't think they would be favored against USC. They almost certainly will be against UCLA. Um, so I've got them winning that one. I've got them beating ASU. So I've got them 9-3 and three and 6-3 and three in conference. Um, beating UCLA, ASU, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, and Washington State, but losing to Washington, Utah, um, and Arizona. So... A pretty good year for them. Um, I, I think schedule, definitely benefiting from the schedule. Um, the non-conference is pretty soft as well. Um, but that's a that's a, that's that's a pretty big bounce back year from where Oregon was just a couple of years ago. Um, so I think a, a pretty solid result. I don't think they're going to get over the hump with Washington. I think Washington's going to be, you know, just kind of too good. But, uh, but a pretty strong season for the Ducks. Yeah, uh, we're pretty close in the north, and I think we both have Washington first mm-hmm. by process of elimination. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, best coaching staff in the conference, a uh, lot of talent coming back. I like a lot of the pieces on defense. Top 10 quarterback in the league. It's like, I think it's going to be <laughs> – they're going to be a really tough team to beat this year. So I, I got Washington Huskies. Yeah. My number one team. Me too. Um, I've got them 11-1. and one. Overall, eight and one in conference, um, lone loss to Cal, but I have them sweeping through the non-conference, even beating Auburn. So nice. my prediction could end up very wrong within a little over a month, but um, I think they're going to be able to put it together. Chris Peterson, with a ton of time to prepare for that game, uh, is always a good thing. I think he's able to mitigate talent advantage, and Auburn probably will have some small talent advantage, um, but I think Washington can uh, 
can make up the lack with uh, coaching and preparation. Um, but yeah, I think the Huskies are going to be great this year. Um, they also benefit from the schedule. Uh, they avoid Arizona and USC in the South, getting UCLA and, Ar- and Arizona State in, in in their place. And I think that's good for at least one win over a loss. Um, you know, I think I would have them seven and two if they had USC and Arizona instead of ASU and UCLA. Um, so. You know, that's a, it's always a factor to consider, and we'll talk about it in our team-by-team previews as we go, um, but the, the teams you avoid and the teams you have to face play so much of a role in how your, your season ends up. I remember in the early days of the Pac-12, it seemed like whoever won the South was whichever team in the South avoided Oregon um, for like the first three or four years in the, uh, in the Pac-12, um, so you can't underestimate how important... Um, that that schedule floppiness is so. Um, regardless, I'd have Washington win in the league, but um, this has them as a real college football playoff contender by the end of the season. And then, did you do the Pac-12 championship game prediction? Yeah, I just I, I picked UW over USC. I just think Washington's going to be a little bit more complete. I, I think USC by the end of the year is probably going to be a lot better than USC at the beginning of the year because they will have most likely figured out their quarterback competition by the very end of the year, or at least have a solidified starter in the whole deal. Um, but I just think Washington's going to be kind of one of those teams that because they don't have to face too much craziness in, in the schedule, they're going to just get rolling at a certain point. Um, and I think they're going to be able to beat USC in the championship game. Yeah. I, I have Washington winning as well. Um, you know, if they can beat Auburn, I think they can be a playoff team. So uh, I think that's, that would be good for the Pac-12. Don't want to miss the, the playoffs again. So I think that's the potential. So that 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 Auburn game is huge, Pac-12 fans. So you want to make sure you watch that. And uh, if you'd like to see the Pac-12 in the college football playoff, any team, it certainly will help if Washington is able to beat Auburn. All right. So those are our predictions for this year. Um, we reserve the right to change these after we hear literally any information from fall camps for any of these schools. But... Uh, I probably won't. I feel pretty good about this. Um, I do too. Catastrophic injuries. I'll feel pretty good about this. But at some point, hey, you should do your grid work and uh, and figure I out will. exactly what your win losses are. I will. I will plot that out. And uh, yeah, and just so you guys know, like no one predicted it right last year except us. So um, why did you pick USC to win the South last year or no? I cannot recall. Okay. Yeah. So I I just remember. I think I must at, have. I must have. There's no way I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I looked at the media poll. Everyone had picked Washington last year, and and we were the only ones that picked Stanford. So uh, it was pretty cool. So no one else could have got it right because they all picked Washington. Or we're, we're, most of them. Picked we are real brain geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that I picked Utah to win the, the South, and you picked them to finish fifth. So that's uh, yeah. It's now we're like we're way off the reservation. So they'll probably finish like third. So yeah, like, I think our South thing. You could, I mean, aside from Colorado for me, but. You could just throw them in a hat and pull one out, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." Yeah, I'm. I'm I like how the. I mean, who knows? Arizona State might be a lot better than we think. Um, there's there's some really interesting teams, and you know, the. I guess the problem, Dave, is if you have some of these teams that are just like they look good one week and they look like crap the next week. Um, you want to see a little bit of consistency there. Like, I want to see Arizona State. Like, hey, wow, they really look good. Like week in a week out. Not like they peak one week and they look like crap for two weeks, but then they play good the next, you know, um, either be good or, or be crappy. 
and you know Cal, we want the same sort of thing. Like, are they going to be able to be consistent and then upset a team or two? I, that'd be great for the for the Bears and for Justin Wilcox. Well, we'll see. It should be interesting. The whole thing should be a fun year. So now, should we preview? We should preview. Do you want to you want to go USC first or UCLA first? What do you what 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 do you feel? What are you feeling like right now? I'm feeling I'll just go USC first. How's that? Let's do it. Since I picked them second in the South, then people are going to get mad at me. Um, do we have our sound effects or do I have to do them? Oh, I just, <laughs> no, because I don't have like a mixing board. I'm just on my laptop, right. so I have none of that. Right. USC Trojans. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty so, good. So our format, what we're going to do is I literally came sorry, up with sorry, something. Sorry, 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 sorry. Hold on. Pac-12 Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we basically we just wanted to bring some different categories to the preview, uh, and so we want to ask like the same, not really questions, but just like talk about the same eleven or twelve categories for each team, and that should give kind of give you a pretty good idea of uh, what our experts think about those teams. So we'll it'll be the same sort of topics. Uh, for each one, and then, you know, there might be some unique stuff for individual teams, but uh, we just kind of came up with a quick format, and we'll I think we'll roll with that as long as it works today, and we'll roll with it for the rest of the previews. Cool. All right, shall we begin with uh, any coaching changes on the USC front? Yeah, so pretty consistent. This is Clay Helton's third full year. Of course, he took over as the interim, uh, you know, four years ago. I guess you could say for you know. The, the beginning of his first year, really. Um, and no real major changes. They had Dylan McCullough, who was a running back coach. He ended up leaving for the Kansas City Chiefs. And they brought in Tim Drevno, who was the former offensive line coach for USC. He was a former Michigan uh, offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. USC brings him in as a running backs coach, which is interesting because... I mean, why he hasn't really coached running backs in a long time, but there's been some, a lot of thought about that Neil Calloway might be forced out or retire or something like that. He's USC's current offensive line coach and Tim Drevno could kind of move over and take over. He's been at USC before, um, you know, obviously worked for Harbaugh and stuff before. So pretty stable. They just, um, uh, they also had Tyson Helton, who's Clay Helton's brother, uh, move on uh, to uh, take the job at Tennessee and they promoted from within. Um, so uh, yeah, Brian Ellis uh, who worked with uh, Tyson Helton for a while, he had really only been a, a full-time assistant for one year at Western Kentucky as a, as a receivers coach. So this is his first time being a quarterback coach. Um, is he also full-time. going to, is he also going to be afforded the opportunity to steal play calls from T Martin? <laughs> he could. Yeah, I think, there was there was rumors of that happening in the Cotton Bowl. In fact, uh, we don't know. I, I asked Clay uh, Clay Helton about this, and he said T. Martin is going to be the the play caller. So that shouldn't be those questions shouldn't be coming up this year, at least according to what uh, Clay told me in the spring. Uh, but so they have a rookie uh, quarterback coach with a rookie quarterback. So that could be uh, bad. We'll see. I don't know. And they have Kerry Colbert. They promoted him to tight end coach. So he was. Uh, uh, you know, a, a support staff guy. So basically they, they promoted two support staff guys 
because they had the 10th assistant. So you get the, the extra one. So it's pretty stable. Like people, you know, no one really, the only new person is Tim Drevno. Other people were just promoted. And then Tim Drevno was at USC before. So no one that's unfamiliar uh, around the coaching staff. Cool. And then, um, and then from a returning starters standpoint, um, how's USC looking in terms of experience coming back? Yeah, so uh, I think like officially or whatever, it's like seven on offense, seven on defense. They're replacing the top passer, Sam Darnold, top rusher, uh, Ronald Jones, and the top uh, receiver in Deontay Burnett, who set Cotton Bowl and Rose Bowl records. So they have to, you know, basically your top three guys on offense. And I don't think they have had to do that since like 81 or so. It's been like a long time. Um, but they return a lot of people with starting experience. Pretty much the whole offensive line's back, and every you know there's five or six guys that have starting experience there, so they should be uh, they should be fine on the offensive line. The, the offensive line problem is always um, they just kept switching offensive line coaches. Well, they've had the same one for three years. You got a bunch of guys coming back, so there shouldn't really be any excuses there uh, on defense. Certainly replacing some 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 key players. Uh, Chen and Wusu was uh, you know just. Batted down passes at the line of scrimmage. He was great. Rasheem Green, uh, you know, high draft pick. Uh, but a lot of guys with starting experience, they should be way deep on the defensive side of the ball. As deep as they've been in the secondary, uh, yeah, linebacker, defensive line, they got guys that can play all over the place. And their whole their special teams were pretty crappy last year, but they returned everybody on special teams. So um, enough people coming back, uh, Some certainly some key losses, but – uh, you know, overall, there's a lot of guys with starting experience. It's there's some youngish parts of this team, but a lot of experience. They shouldn't that shouldn't really be an issue for them. Yeah, the one thing I would note here is that maybe from my eyes as an outsider, the two biggest difference makers, the one on offense and the one on defense, are going to be gone from last year. Sam Darnold obviously made so much happen with his legs and playmaking ability throughout both of the last two years, and then Nuosu. I mean, he was a terror. Just yeah. his ability to bat down passes and just disrupt from the edge. Um, I don't know if there was another guy who was anywhere close. I mean, I, I'm sure statistically, but when you're just watching a game, who jumps out to you as just doing so much in a game? It was Nuosu for me um, from watching USC. So I think replacing, obviously USC has a ton of talent, but replacing those kind of just individuals who can just take over a game for a stretch of time um, I think that is going to be critical for USC here. 100% agree, especially when you have questions on coaching and scheme. Individual players can just take over. And if you're missing one or two of those guys that was able to do that, not saying you don't have other guys that could too, you just don't know. But if you're if you're not 100% sold on, hey, this is a this amazing coaching staff with great schemes and things like that, you worry about, you know, and you don't have a, a player that takes over, then you're you're missing something there. So, all right, some key people have lost for sure. So you talked a little bit about scheme there. Um, any any scheme changes this year you're anticipating? Maybe with the loss of Tyson Helton, are they adjusting anything offensively? What anything adjusting? You think? Yeah. So they uh, they're talking about being more of a run first sort of team, and you know I, I think that makes sense on paper, but that's really not the the makeup of this, you know, it's not in their DNA. Like I think they're going to have to rely if they're going to be successful, whoever the quarterback ends up being, they're just going to have to, you know, he's still going to be a big part of the offense. I don't think you can just put the quarterback there as a placeholder and let them run the football 
and play defense. It just doesn't seem like that's this team's makeup. But they that's what they've said. I'm not convinced that's what they're going to go. But the on the defensive side of the ball, Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator, I like a lot of his scheme stuff. Some of it doesn't work. They give up a bunch of big plays, but he's kind of he's an aggressive guy. They'll they'll create a lot of negative plays, which I like. I think when you have athletes, it's a good way to go. Um, but he doesn't really rotate a lot of people uh, and bring them into the game. I think they're going to be deep enough. I think his level of trust on the roster will be. It'll be large, you know. It'll be a larger group, and I kind of feel like they're going to rotate more on defense. Now I could be wrong, but I think that's going to be one of the changes where they they bring in a new defensive line, um, and you know they they rotate more guys through the secondary, things like that. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that on defense, but for the most part, it should be you know pretty similar to what we've seen in years past. And then um, we talked a little bit about the schedule points, but um, touching on what Pac-12 teams they miss and, and how's that out-of-conference schedule looking for USC? Yeah, I mean, you talk about you know, not playing Oregon, not playing Washington, uh, obviously two very tough teams. Uh, the problem is they got to play Stanford on the road early with you know questionable quarterback spot. Not really sure what's going on there. And you beat Stanford twice last year, so... Uh, that's, you know, I don't think that's going to sit that well with David Shaw. It's a real opportunity for Stanford to kind of pounce on USC, uh, early. We saw them do that in 2016 when the Trojans started off one and three, you could have a similar start because they have to play, uh, Stanford and Texas on the road in the first three weeks of the schedule. So, um, there's potential to maybe 2016 ish and start off slow. Now, that year, obviously, they won nine games in a row and won the Rose Bowl and made a run, but um, we'll see kind of what happens here. But I think that early part of the schedule is tough. Uh, they they lost to Washington State on a Friday night last year. They haven't been home this year, but it's following you know two weeks on the road, then they play on a Friday in the Coliseum, and the renovations will be going on. Parking's going to be a nightmare. That's going to be a disaster game. Like The fact that the Pac-12 made USC play on a Friday and while the Coliseum's being renovated was probably one of their dumber moves of the year. But the, the trap game for me, I mentioned it earlier is the Arizona game. After all that you're going through and maybe you go through it and, and do pretty well on that stretch. And if you do, I mean, it's obviously going to bode well for the season, but you could go on the road to Arizona, let your guard down a little bit. And there's a, some potential there, but with the two games you mentioned, I think you picked USC to lose. You got a road game against Texas and then uh, home against Notre Dame. Notre Dame totally throttled them last year. Uh, so there's certainly the kind of potential there. But, you know, missing, I think the most important part, missing Washington, missing Oregon, um, you know, that, that that's the big one. You know, you get to play Oregon State and Washington State, which we both think are not going to have the, the greatest year. So, um, you know, Cal, who knows? You know, they play Stanford and Cal every year. But I think schedule-wise, it's not – um, it shouldn't be too difficult for USC, but they do have two really tough uh, out-of-conference games in Notre Dame and Texas on the road. Yeah, and for me, that's the big limiting factor for this USC team actually contending nationally. Um, obviously, the quarterback from a from an individual team standpoint, you know, figuring out who that's going to be, but from a wider angle look, just having to play a, a, what should be an improved Texas team on the road, a Texas team that, frankly should have or very well, very well could have uh, beaten USC last year um, at at the Coliseum, I think that was. Um, yeah, in overtime. Yeah, it's just um, that's 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 tough. And then Notre Dame, which 
I think is supposed to be better than last year. And last year they really beat the hell out of USC. So, um, those are, those are tough games. Um, but, uh, all right. Um, impact freshman, who, who should we be anticipating every year? USC has some guys, um, you know, they recruit like 15, five stars a year. Who's, (laughs) who are the ones that you think are going to crack the rotation this year and make an impact? Yeah, I think you have to start with JT Daniels, the the reclassified five-star uh, incoming freshman quarterback. Um, he's certainly in the mix to be the starting quarterback. Uh, he's looked really good this summer. He's a, So he's only been on campus for about six weeks. Uh, officially, no official practices yet. He won't do that till fall camp. But he was he's that good where a lot of people still think he's going to end up being the the starting quarterback. We don't know what Clay Elton's going to decide. We don't know how that's going to go, but he's got the potential. But one of the guys he throws to, Amon Ross St. Brown, we've seen him in the summer. Uh, if you've watched him at all in the, the recruiting, you know, recruiting circuit, um, he was a stud then. He looks like a stud now, you know, running next to Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman and guys like that. You throw him the football, he catches the football. Um, he talks about catching the football. He's very, you know, He's got a, a really unique kind of personality, him and his family and stuff. It's 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 pretty. He's kind of fun to watch. So, I uh, really like what he's been able to bring to the table. Um, he's he's good, you know. And I think they've got some really interesting pieces on defense that it's going to be harder for them to get into the mix. But two like super corners and uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin. I think those guys. Uh, have some potential uh, to, you know, as true freshmen. And, you know, there's some redshirt freshmen kind of stuff uh, sprinkled in too. But as far as incoming freshmen goes, like it's probably going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And I would start off certainly with JT Daniels and Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, if, if JT Daniels is able to win that quarterback position, that's going to be very, very interesting because that probably, you know, it can mean one of two things. And I'll get into this with the UCLA quarterback battle too, is, you know, when there's a battle, it can mean, oh, wow, you know, JT Daniels won. That means he's really good because, you know, he beat out some guys. Or it can mean, wow, he's just, you know, the youngest one and they want to start over and everyone is not very good, so why not just start the true freshman? Um, So it'll be interesting to see which kind of, what the tenor is of that competition because neither of Matt Fink or Jack Sears blew anybody away in the spring. Um, And that gets into the next thing, best position battles of the fall. I assume quarterback is going to be the one that has your eye most of the time. Yeah, you have to. I mean, obviously, it's the most important position in the sport. Um, and, you you know, no one started a game. Uh, so there's that's where you're going to look to first. And if you and if you do have like a guy like JT Daniels winning the job, there's also criticism. I mean, if you don't start him, like when USC, when, you know, Clay Elton started Max Brown, you know, a lot of people were OK with it because you don't really know what Sam Darwin's going to do. But then when you see him come in and you're like, how do the coaches not know? He was that good. But then if you if you started Sam Darnold from the beginning, then people would say, well, Max Brown's been in the program for three years. Like, why is he suck now? Or, you know, I mean, there's there's always going to be some sort of criticism. And I think, you know, in this case, it's like, hey, you know, Matt Fink's been this will be his third year in the program. Jack Sears, it's his second year. Why haven't they looked a little bit better? Why, you know, if JT Daniels can come in without a spring football and win what did you, did you not recruit the right guys? Did you not develop them when they're there? So I think there's going to be a lot of talk, no matter who wins criticism, no matter who, you know, who is chosen. And then obviously it depends on how, how that, that person ends up playing. And if they switch them out 
Did they start one guy and then change it out? So that's the one you, you kind of got to watch. And, you know, we, we'll find out, you know, maybe a few weeks into fall camp who he picks. But it's still one you're going to have to watch throughout the season. You know, if you if some guy wins the job at defensive tackle and someone else gets more reps, like, that's fine. Like, this is going to be something that you don't watch just the fall, but certainly through the first few games when you're playing some some tough road contests. But then throughout the, the rest of the season, there could be some back and forth. There could be some uh, a lot of criticism. I'm sure there'll be a lot of criticism. So that that's the one you got to watch. Absolutely. Um, all right, so when you're looking at uh, this just this whole USC team as a whole, obviously very talented across the board, but what are the strengths and the weaknesses of this team? Start with the strengths. Yeah, I think I'll go with, um, I, I like the the duo they have at receiver with Pittman and Vaughns, uh, and then you can add, add a guy like Wait, Alan wait, you, you like Tyler Vaughns? Tyler Vaughns is my guy. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's always a joke. I don't know if people, so people don't know, like when you go, you know, when, Dave and I do this kind of stuff, and you're like, hey, who looks good? And then you say, you know what? Watch out for this guy. And Tyler Vaughn's is a guy that was a five-star coming out of high school and redshirted. So, and then people write those guys off right away. And I was telling people, no, dude, he's a freaking stud. Watch him. It just took him a little while to transition from the high school to, to college, but he had a killer spring. And for whatever reason, the coaches didn't start him for the first four or five games last year. And people are like, and I'm told him like, look, he's a stud. And then he comes in and he's a total stud. So, Yes. When, when you predict someone's going to be good and they end up being good, that you want to kind of, you so ride good. that horse oh, more. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I think those two guys, uh, that, you know, with St. Brown and Devin Williams looks really good too. He's a, another true freshman. He's like six foot five. Um, I think the receiving core will be very good. Um, I, as long as Steven Carr is healthy, I think the running backs are going to be really good. I like Cedric Ware. He's a true fresh, a true senior from Texas. So he's kind of out of Ronald Jones's shadow. They came in together from the state of Texas. Um, Vivai Malapai from Hawaii, uh, like him a lot. So it's Stephen Carr is like a stud. You know, he was the other five-star guy with the Jenny, uh, not Jenny Harris, uh, Najee Harris, uh, who's down at Alabama. You got to see him shine in the, uh, the national championship game. But I, I like the, you know, outside of quarterback, we're not sure yet, but I like the running backs and, and receivers and, I really like the way the secondary is coming together. Even though they lost Jack Jones, um, you know, I mentioned the two freshman corners coming in. Uh, Marvell Tell, I like a lot. Uh, Jenny Harris, who's played the nickel, I like a lot. Uh, Modern days, uh, um, uh, Jonathan uh, Lockett came in. He started. He he was going to be the starter at nickel. He might play corner. He might play nickel. They have a lot of pieces, I think, in the secondary to to make this work. So I think that's going to be one of the strengths of the team. Um, oh, you wanted weaknesses too, right? Yeah. I want your weaknesses. <sighs> yeah, it's hard. Like I think special teams is still going to be a weakness. Not that they don't have talent there, but um, I'm just not scheme wise convinced. Uh, I think they're going to be. I think there's going to be pressure though, because you have a full time special teams coordinator, and they were like, I think at the S and P Plus they were like 89th last year. Um, it, you know, in in all those categories, so it's it's it, it was bad, and I think. Maybe it'll be better this year, but I'm gonna. I've, it's hard for me not to pick that as being one of the weaknesses. It's those hidden yards where you can kind of flip the field or whatever. They just don't seem to do a very good job of that. So I think I would put that. Um, I'm curious about the offensive line with everyone coming back, but they just haven't really impressed me all that much. I think the collection of talent is not equated to a, a really cohesive offensive line unit. Um, so 
I don't know if that's going to change, so I would probably put that also as one of the weaknesses of the team. Right. Um, and then we also got um, a, a question series from our man Hithliday. Um I think you basically answered two of the things, but so he's asking about defensive structure. What is the team's basic defensive structure and what is its history? You talked about Clancy Pendergast and what are its strengths and weaknesses. But um, which individual position, not necessarily the best player, but the key player in that defensive scheme? So what's the most important? Because a lot of defensive schemes are just the middle linebacker. But what's the most important or the key position in Clancy's scheme for you? You know, I think you you have to look at the, the middle linebackers. But I mean, he's making a lot of the calls. So you have a guy like Cameron Smith, who's you know a captain again. He'll represent them at Pac-12 Media Day. He'll get his hundred whatever tackles. Like, I think that's certainly important. But I think you put if you want to look at the the outside the cornerbacks, um, those are really important spots. Uh, a guy like an Iman Marshall, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him um, because they really leave those guys on islands. So when I talk about trust, I think Clancy needs to Clancy Pendergast needs to trust guys if he wants to put them in the rotation. Sometimes he just doesn't trust them, and they don't play. He has to completely trust those corners because he literally throws them out there and lets them kind of hang on the vine. Um, and, you know, they could be having, they could be struggling, they could be holding, pass interference, giving up big plays. And that doesn't seem to change. He's, he does not like rolling over the coverage and trying to, he's, he's still going with that because he's still going to bring pressure and try to force those negative plays. And you're always, so I think for me, those corners are really important because you have to. If you don't perform well, it's just really hard for the rest of the the scheme to work. Now, you can force a negative play, get a sack, and maybe get off the field, but then you give up a 20-yard play on the next on the next down and because uh, the corner falls down or whatever. So um, I would probably say middle linebacker and then the those corners. Okay, very cool. And then uh, any other interesting news notes, anything like that from USC this offseason? I know it's always eventful. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's been fairly quiet. Um you know, they, they lost a couple of five-star guys. Uh, Joseph Lewis, he just got arrested again. It was a second um, domestic uh, violence uh, accusation, I guess. So there's – he was a, f- a five-star uh, receiver. It wasn't really, like, you know, big contributor or anything like that, but just, you know, one of those guys with potential uh, who's gone. And then uh, and then Jack Jones, um, who was uh, not – you know, he, he was held out for the spring – uh, academic side and you thought that he would kind of turn things around and be ready for the fall. He is not. So, um, and they, you know, to be able to replace a couple of five-star guys and not really miss a beat. Um, that's, you know, the luxury you have when you kind of recruit like that, but that, you know, not too much is like, we've seen some crazy off season, you know, a lot of crazy off seasons for USC, but this is, this really wasn't one of them. All right. Very cool. So USC. Cool. That's USC. Well, all right, you ready for for <clears throat> UCLA Bruins? <laughs> Is that good? Nice. Oh, that was okay. Um, so, Dave, let's talk about the Bruins. Uh, I probably this will probably be a quick category. The first one. Uh, any coaching changes <laughs> going on at UCLA? Um, yeah. So obviously, <laughs> obviously, uh, UCLA. Made the big coaching change in the offseason, uh, firing, well, actually not in the offseason, uh, towards the end of last season, uh, firing Jim Mora, hiring Chip Kelly. Um, and Chip Kelly has brought uh, mostly new coaches. Um, some of the offensive staff has remained the same, 
Um, Deshaun Foster is still the running backs coach, um, among others. But for the most part, it's a new staff. Um, he, uh, he, he has guys he likes and, uh, you know, he's going to be essentially his own offensive coordinator. He hired Jerry Azanaro as his defensive coordinator, who was his defensive line coach, um, up in Oregon. Um, and he brought a lot of that former Oregon staff, Don Pelham as well, uh, linebackers coach who ended up being the defensive coordinator up at Oregon. Not doing a great job as defensive coordinator, but a long-time linebackers coach up there. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting kind of seeing all of these different pieces together. Azanaro was not the defensive coordinator at Oregon. That was Nick Aliotti. Um, but we're assuming the scheme in practice is going to look a lot like Nick Aliotti's when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, which was an aggressive scheme because we're assuming the relative aggression of that defensive scheme is going to be based on the chep- on the head coach's preference. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in practice. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the it's Chip Kelly. Um, that's huge news for UCLA. Um, it's probably the first time in, gosh, I mean, the first time in <laughs> since what Red Sanders uh, back in the fifties that UCLA hired a guy who was actually like a coveted coach out on the market. Um, you know, Carl Durrell, Rick Neuheisel, Jim Mora, nobody else was banging on their doors to hire them uh, when UCLA made the poll. But uh, Chip Kelly was the hottest coach on the market in the off season, and UCLA made the hire. So, just from a simple. Uh, messaging standpoint that was a that was a huge thing but uh now uh now it's all about the proof and uh whether chip kelly can put it together and have a a good season this year and build on something for uh 2019 and beyond it's interesting with like deshaun foster you know staying on um what what is he thought of as a, a running back coach obviously people must uh think he does a good job if chip kelly wanted to keep him yeah, I think I, I think he's well thought of. I mean, he's obviously still pretty um, early on in his coaching career. He was spent a number of years as kind of one of those GA. I don't even know what you call some of the, like quality control and that sort of deal, where he was not yeah. the official running backs coach. He was working underneath Kennedy Palomalu, and there's no better tutelage for a running backs coach than working under Kennedy Palomalu, who's you know for whatever he was as an offensive coordinator at UCLA is one of I mean the finest running back coaches in the sport. Um, so I think that um, played a role here. I think he hit it off well with um, with Kelly and staff. Um, and I think he just kind of fit what they were trying to do. And I think because Chip has more control over the offensive side of the ball and he knows that side of the ball the best, I think he was more comfortable with keeping guys on on that side of the ball. Um, especially if they were, you know, bought into the way he wants to do things. And I think uh, Deshaun, for those purposes, certainly was. Is there is there an offensive coordinator in name, or is there not really one? I don't believe anybody got the title. Um, I think it's just uh, it's just Chip. Um, but I love that. That's awesome if that's the, like. Because mo- most people just name somebody, you know, and it's like, you know, they're not the offensive coordinator. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Chip's going to call his own plays and the whole deal. So. I don't think that's that's anything that he necessarily <laughs> wants to have on staff. He doesn't want to give off that impression. Um, but, uh, you know, it's Dana Bible is the quarterback's coach. Um, I don't know if he's going to be playing any sort of role with, um, with play calling. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some game planning assistance from some of these assistants. But 
Um, no, this is this is Chip's offense. He's gonna he's gonna run it how he wants to run it. So it's gonna be uh, fun to see. Well, he won't be running it with Josh Rosen. No. Uh, but what about you know, not just quarterback, but all the returning starters? Where is UCLA sitting? So officially, um, to steal uh, your line, uh, UCLA returns five offensive starters and eight defensive starters, um, which I think is probably a good way of looking at it. UCLA has to replace a lot on the offensive side of the ball, um, but most importantly, Josh Rosen, um, starter for three years, quarterback, um, despite some injuries, um, you know, locked down that position, you know, gave them basically stability at that position for three years after they just got done with three years of Brett Hundley. So it's been a stable six years at quarterback for UCLA. Um, and this year we'll introduce a little bit of, you know, intrigue uh, there. Um, and then on the offensive line, UCLA loses three starters, um, Colton Miller, Scott Quisenberry, um, Najee Turan. So they have to replace three starters on the offensive line. They have to replace some receiver talent. Um, and so there's going to be some definite uh growing pains, I think, offensively. But, you know, Chip Kelly will have the ability. You know, when a new coach doesn't have to deal with a ton of incumbents, um, especially if they're coming in with a pronounced offensive scheme that they want to run, I think it makes it maybe a little bit easier for them because then they can, without hurting any feelings or really, you know, you know, making anybody really pissed off, they can, you know, pick their starters and pick who they want to start. So, um, I think that'll be good um, offensively. And then defensively, they definitely return a lot more. Um, I think the secondary returns all but Jaleel Wadud. Um, and so that's that's big. Uh, linebackers, they return some players. Um, but it's honestly, I feel like that is a new group, even if it is the same guys, because they were just so bad last year. Uh-huh. Um, you know, these guys are all going to be looking for redemption after what was a really poor 2017 season. And I think a lot of that was scheme related, but, you know, guys like Chris Barnes, um, are going to be, be hungry to, uh, to improve on last year. And then the defensive line loses some guys, uh, Jacob Tuiad, Mariner, Matt Dickerson among them, but, um, they return a lot of guys who were rotation players from last year. Um, so there's, there's definitely some returning talent on that defense. They have to replace a couple of guys, but I think the defense is going to be much more the experienced side of the ball this year. All right. Um, like it, well, we could probably skip this next one. I assume all the schemes are going to be the exact same. From yeah, yeah, year, absolutely. Right? I think it's just going to be, you know, that jet fish <laughs> offensive scheme over again, that really garbage defensive scheme. No, um, I, I would anticipate. So the offense is going to be the most interesting thing from what we saw in the spring. It definitely doesn't look exactly like what Chip Kelly was running in Oregon. Um, it looks like if we had to put an, a, a, a categorization on it, it looks like a combination of what Chip Kelly was running at the Eagles um, when he was there and what he was running at Oregon. Um, I know a lot of people have talked about Scott Frost at UCF and what he ran there. Um, and I think that's probably a good enough lens uh, to look at uh, what Chip Kelly's going to do at UCLA. I'm sure he's going to put his own wrinkles on it, but it's going to be a lot of the same base ideas, I think, is what he was using for the blur. But it's going to be much more, I would guess... Um, uh, not quarterback runs um, because whoever ends up starting um, and we'll get to this in a little bit. I don't think it's going to be Dorian Thompson Robinson and he's the real um, dual threat quarterback run type guy in that quarterback group. I think it's much more likely going to be a, a Wilton Spade or possibly a Devon Modster, 
both of whom are much more kind of pocket passers. The monster has a little bit of ability to run. Um, I, I think it's going to be an RPO based offense where they're doing a lot of run pass options. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting from a tempo standpoint, how much it resembles that blur in, in practice. We, we've certainly seen them go up tempo. Um, but, and I never saw an Oregon practice and very few people have, but, um, I don't think it was quite at that level of tempo. Um, so I'm interested to see how this looks in, in an actual game. I think they're going to change speeds a lot more than they did at Oregon. Um, because that breakneck tempo has, it's not quite the revolutionary concept that it used to be. Um, so that'll all be interesting on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I'm expecting a more aggressive scheme. They've switched to a 3-4 from the 4-3 that they were running under Tom Bradley the last three years. Um, and I would expect, based on everything we've ever seen from Oregon, that it'll be aggressive. They're going to try to get upfield. They're going to try to disrupt. Um, they're going to try to use their defensive line to actually get into the backfield, which is not something they've really been doing a whole lot of in the last couple of years, which sounds insane, but true. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a more aggressive scheme. Now, that's all practice. Um, and as everybody who has ever watched a practice has learned, you can only take so much schematically from practice. Um, I, I think they're going to be more aggressive, but sometimes they'll show stuff in practice and then it won't end up being that way in the game. So we yeah. will see. But um, it's going to be, I think it'll be drastic changes on both sides of the ball um, and maybe the first time UCLA is actually maximizing the odds um, on both sides of the ball. Well, I guess the follow-up with Hithliday's comments, you talked about the, the basic defensive structure. Um, what about the strength, the weaknesses, and then there's individual positions uh, that are key in that scheme? Yeah, I would anticipate the defense being um, somewhat boom or bust, uh, maybe a little bit like what you were describing with, uh, with Pendergast defense. Now, not quite at the level of like a Todd Graham defense, but... When you're more aggressive, there's going to be times where you just get bombed with a big play. And the one thing UCLA didn't have up until last year was they very rarely got hit with a big play because Jim Mora's main defensive concept was keep everything in front of you and don't give up anything deep. And I think for to, to a large extent, UCLA did a nice job of that. I think they're going to aim to be more disruptive, aim for takeaways, um, just kind of aim to put pressure on offenses more. And invariably, that's going to lead to more big, you know, big touchdowns for the other team. Um, it's it's my preferential style with a defense. I like to watch that more. I think a lot of stat heads will show you that um, the bend and not break actually does work better um, if you do it right. But um, I, I, I like excitement, as you've learned from our soccer conversations. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be a fan of that if they if they end up doing that. Um, so that's probably the strength. The, the strength is obviously that you get those um, big plays in the backfield. The weakness is that they might get some big plays over your secondary. Um, yeah. So that that's probably that. Um, I think from the impact player standpoint, when I was watching, and this is, again, based on what I remember from watching Oregon, um, a lot of times it was that you whoever that big-time defensive end was, DeForest Buckner, um, wh- whoever it ended up being, th- the playmaker off the edge who could just kind of disrupt and make big plays happen. Um, I think UCLA has some bodies who could fill that role. Um, one guy I'm really intrigued by is Moses Robinson Carr, who switched over from tight end in spring and made a huge impact immediately. Um, but there's a lot of defensive linemen who could be really good this year. Rick Wade is another one who who was always tailor-made for a 3-4 um, defensive end. He's 6'6", 260. Just, I mean, just long, big. He looks like a Stanford defensive end from 
years past. Um, so I think he could make an impact. Um, but there's a lot of guys in that defensive line group who I think could play something akin to that DeForest Buckner role. Um, and then in any defense, uh, Mike Linebacker, and I think that's going to be Chris Barnes this year. Um, he's he's looking for redemption after last season because he had he ha- he had an in particular rough year where I just think that scheme was just so ill designed for basically anybody to shine, um, and then he had just had plays where he just looked like he was completely out of sorts. So I think him um, getting into a new new defensive structure with a new staff, I think that's going to help quite a bit. Um, but I would say Mike Linebacker and that kind of big defensive end role um, are, are maybe the big two keys in this defensive scheme, at least from what I remember from watching Oregon. All right. Um, and then the next points we want to talk about are the schedule. Uh, who's the Bru- Who are the Bruins missing out of conference games? And is there some sort of trap game that, that you see on the schedule? Yeah, the schedule's awful for UCLA this year and Chip Kelly's first year. Um, they, they miss Oregon State and Washington State and have to play Oregon and Washington. So that's bad from that standpoint. And then in the non-conference, they have to go on the road to Oklahoma. Um, and they also they get, good? Yeah. <laughs> and they also get Fresno State at home, a Fresno State team that was good last year and should only be better this year. They return a ton of starters. Yeah. Um, so those are two non-conference potential losses. Um, I think they'll be favored against Fresno State, but they're going to be like uh, three touchdown dogs to Oklahoma on the road. Um, so that's that's tough. Like there's a scenario where they could absolutely go one and two in the non-con. Uh, they get Cincinnati as well, which isn't, you know, that's not the end of the world. Cincinnati's not going to be good this year. Um, but Fresno State and Oklahoma, those are both real games. Um, and then in the conference, not getting Oregon State or Washington State and instead getting Oregon and Washington, that's that's almost flipping two losses to two wins um, if they had gotten those other two schools. Um, they have such a pronounced talent advantage of Oregon State that it would be hard to see them losing that game. And then Washington State, they're going to have – you know they're going to have growing pains, especially at quarterback. Um, that I, I think those could have been wins, but you can't predict this team beating Washington, and I think it's a hard thing to predict them beating Oregon. Um, so that's tricky. Um, and then when I'm looking at the trap games, I, I see right now they have um, so it's it's at Colorado the week after Fresno State at home and the week before Washington at home. And I could 100% oh. see that being a trap game. It's a Friday night um, in Boulder. Colorado's not going to be great this year. They might have already lost to like Colorado State or something dumb. They probably will have lost to Nebraska. So they're they're not going to look great. And if it's you know if UCLA isn't completely mentally sharp for that game after you know a week off and and having played at Fresno State and looking ahead to Washington, that could be a trap. And then the week after Washington, they get they go on the road to Cal. And that's right after Washington at home and right before Arizona at home. Um, so that's another one. So Colorado and Cal, um, I think, are both dangerous enough to absolutely beat UCLA. Um, so if they are not completely sharp for either of those, I could see them losing. Yeah, man, I, I forgot they were playing Fresno State. with uh, you know, They won 10 games last year. Jeff Tedford, former... And they're, the they're going well, right? to be better. They're going to be better. They they return basically everyone from last year. Crazy. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Yeah. So it's not a not a favorable schedule. No. Um, but UCLA recruits well. What about some potential impact freshmen that could help this year? 
Yeah. So looking at that, I think um, one guy to keep in keep in your in your mind is uh, Chase Coda. Um, he's a big receiver, also a great athlete. He's like six four, um, but pretty fast. Um, it can leap, does the whole thing. Um, I think he could make an impact. Potentially even start by the end of the year. Um, Diamond Lee is probably the the starter that he could supplant um, on the outside. Chip Kelly appears to really like big receivers, guys who can you know win jump ball situations and that sort of deal, and also block. Um, so Chase Coda, I think if he if he shows he can get out there and block downfield and do that as well as win jump balls and play with strength, um, I think he has a chance to start by the end of the year. I don't think he'll be a starter from game one, but. Um, by the end of the year, for sure. Uh, another guy I would uh, keep in mind is Casimir Allen. Uh, he's a running back, a three-star, but um, one of the I think he was maybe the fastest guy in the hundred meter in the state, maybe. Um, and he's got just that natural speed um, that translates to the football field. Um, he, you know, if you remember when Chip Kelly started at Oregon, he he started a little-known three-star uh, running back his first year, two thousand nine. That guy's name was Michael James, also a track athlete, also, um, you know, just super fast, kind of small. Um, and the parallels there are, you know, interesting, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, sure. we'll, we'll see if that ends up happening. But Chip Kelly has shown that he's willing to start a true freshman at running back. So it's a different scheme. We'll see what happens. Um, but Casimir Allen will be one to watch. And then another offensive guy, um, and we'll get into this when we get into the position battles, but Chris Murray. Um, on the offensive line, um, you know, it's always a tricky thing to project a true freshman ever making an impact on the offensive line, especially. Uh, but UCLA's depth there is so rough um, that if he comes in and he looks pretty competent, um, there's a chance he could end up starting at guard or center or something like that. Um, and that would go a long way toward uh, fixing UCLA's depth a little bit. Um, so those would be three I would keep in mind. Um I don't know if I'm missing anybody defensively, but I don't know if there's anybody freshman-wise who would make a huge impact defensively, but I could obviously be missing somebody. Yeah, that the Cashmere Allen thing with the comparison to uh, Michael James, I think that's great. I mean, you can you see a guy with that much speed, Chip Kelly finding out some way to deal with him. And I loved watching Chase Cota in high school. I don't think USC recruited him all that hard or I don't know at all. And you're just like, you wondered why, cause like the dude could do everything. So, um, be interesting to watch there. I thought they'd mostly be on the offensive side of the ball. So that, that makes sense. But a couple of good ones that could be key pieces for, for Chip Kelly's offense there. Yeah. And he's, he's shown the ability to use, um, those skill sets, right? If a guy has super speed, uh, Chip Kelly gets those guys on the field and uses them. So I, I think Krasmir Allen will find a role this year. I don't know if he's going to end up, you know, carrying the ball 250 times like Michael James did as a true frosh, but, um, you know, I think he'll, he'll make an impact. He'll get some touches. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the best position battles. Where are you looking at? Where, what's going to be interesting to watch this fall? I mean, as with USC, all eyes are going to be on the quarterback position. Um, UCLA brought in a grad transfer in the offseason, Wilton Spate. Uh, formerly the starter at Michigan, um, and not a bad one. Uh, if you look at what Wilton Spate did at Michigan, he started uh, all of 2016 um, and was pretty good. Um, not horrible, not great, but pretty good um, in a much more complex Jim Harbaugh offense. And then he started four games last year. Didn't look great, but then he also got hurt. 
Um, and then he decided to transfer after the season. Uh, what he brings to the table is experience, um, and he also has ability. And he's a big 6'6", 240 guy. Um, he's, he's got pretty good arm strength. I don't think he has the super elite arm strength that you would anticipate from a 6'6 guy, but relatively accurate, um, pretty good arm strength, and uh, has, has picked up a much more complex offense, what Harbaugh runs at Michigan, than uh, what Chip Kelly's probably going to run at UCLA. So I think all of that plays into his favor. Um, so he'll be probably our favorite at the just at this point, because when you're bringing in a grad transfer as a one-year rental, um, odds are that he's, I don't know, not gotten assurances that he's going to start, but I, I'm sure they're going to um, give him every chance to start. Yes. Um, so yeah. that would be uh, probably the the coming in the number one. Um, but then Devon Modster uh, took every first string rep basically in spring. Um, didn't blow anybody away. Um, didn't so much uh, win the job as just nobody else really contended with him for it in the spring. Um, he started games last year and looked pretty good. Um, this offense might just not be a great fit for him. Uh, he's a his best asset is probably his ability to throw a deep ball um, with touch, get it, get some air under it, and give guys a real chance to catch it. And Chip Kelly's offense just, and this is based on what we saw in the spring. Maybe it'll change a little bit in the fall as they install more, but much more predicated on the short throws, keeping the chains moving. And um, I, I think it's going to be a tempo offense, which generally means you're taking really short drops and just trying to get the ball out. Um, and that's just not monster strength he's not a super quick thrower um, and the short stuff he just doesn't quite have that level of touch that you need on those sorts of throws um, so I don't I don't think he's a favorite but I think he could come in and you know if, if he blows everyone away in fall camp I think he's probably got the number two um, slot there and then it's a variety of guys Dorian Thompson Robinson is probably the one people are most interested in um, he's the true freshman phenom from Bishop Gorman his issue, whereas Wilton Spate's strength is his experience, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's issue is his experience, because not just he's a true freshman, he's a true freshman who only started one season of high school football. So that's just tough. Most of the time when you're seeing a guy come into a school as a potential freshman starter at quarterback, he's somebody who started three or four years in high school. Um, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is just a one-year starter at quarterback. Now, he did play... He played a lot his junior year. He played a lot his junior year, but he wasn't the starter. Um, He basically played every second half because Bishop Gorman was so much better than everyone else. Uh, But before that, he was a wide receiver. Um, So it's still a transition for him. He has all the natural ability in the world. He's got a really big, strong arm. Um, He's accurate. Um, He's a great athlete as well. Um, Obviously, he played wide receiver his first couple of years. Uh, But it's just going to be, I think it's just going to be a learning process for him. Um, but I want to throw a caveat in there. If he just comes in and blows everyone away, I don't think Chip Kelly's going to have any shyness about playing a freshman starter. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I just think there's going to be a lot. Uh, there's going to be a lot against him um, doing that in in fall camp and his first college camp. And then um, a couple other guys to note: Matt Lynch and Austin Burton um, didn't blow anybody away in the spring, but neither did Modster. Um, I don't think either of them has a real chance to start, but. I think it's a it's probably the most wide open quarterback competition I can remember when Brett Hundley was was a redshirt freshman competing with uh, Kevin Prince and Richard Brijo. Even though that spring it didn't look like 
you know, Hunley ran away with it, there was this feeling of inevitability that, you know, at some point during the year, he's going to end up starting and taking the job. Um, When when Josh Rosen came in in 2015, um, he pretty much ran away with it in the spring. But even that one, if they decided to start Jerry Neuheisel for a game or two as a conservative thing, you knew Josh Rosen was going to start. This one, it, it could still go several ways. So that'll be interesting. And then the other position battle that I'd keep an eye on is the offensive line um, generally, but specifically the center battle and the right tackle battle. Um, UCLA is uh, trying out Voss Tagaloa, a former defensive tackle um, at center. Um, And he had some issues snapping the ball this spring. Um, Just lots of issues. Um, So that's probably his big limiting factor. He, he looks good on the offensive line. He can block, he can do the whole thing. So, um, who wins that center job? It might allow Tagaloa to play guard then, um, but he's going to be in competition with Zach Sweeney, who's a little bit better snapping the ball, but not the kind of physical force that Boss Tagaloa is. And then I'm interested to see what Chris Murray looks like once he gets into fall camp, because um, I know he's been practicing snapping the ball in the offseason. I think there have been some videos of him doing that. So it'll be interesting to see if he can play some center. Um, and then right tackle, uh, UCLA brought in another grad transfer uh, from Texas Tech, uh, Justin Murphy, who has an interesting story. He started at Texas Tech um, as, a, as a tackle and a guard, uh, but then he actually um, suffered a knee injury that forced him to medically retire at Texas Tech oh. um, about halfway through the 2016 season. And then uh, sometime after that season, he got it in his head that he wanted to make a comeback, um, started working out. He's in phenomenal shape, but he hasn't played football in basically two years. Um, and he decided on UCLA. Um, a lot of people are penciling him in for the right tackle job, including us. But, I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see if he's able to do it. Um, if he is, again, it solves a lot of UCLA's depth issues. But if he isn't, uh, that'll cascade some issues. Um, Jake Burton might end up having to start at right tackle, and he's probably not ready um, I mean, he, he, he's a fine, talented guy, but uh, probably not ready to start at the Pac-12 level. So um, really counting on Justin Murphy, uh, I think UCLA is. Um, but there's going to be, if if all of that works out correctly, if, if Wilton Spate comes in and tears up the quarterback job, and then you get like a Zach Sweeney playing really well at center, and that allows Boss Tagloa to take a guard spot, and then you have Justin Murphy come in and play really, really well at right tackle, suddenly you're looking at a pretty good offense, but a lot of stuff has to go right. And uh, that's, that's probably going to be the biggest um, factor for this season, aside from the schedule limitations is whether they can get everything right with the quarterback and the offensive line. Yeah, obviously that's important, but I think this might be a year where you're just kind of getting it ready. And then by 2018, uh, you're feeling better about, but we'll see, who knows? I mean, they surprise a lot of people. We will see. Um, what about strengths and weaknesses of the team? So the strengths, I think, uh, are mostly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I would say the secondary is a real strength. Nate Metters is probably one of the better corners um, in the Pac-12, at least, um, and maybe nationally. Uh, Darnay Holmes is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he locks down the other corner spot. Um, he's improved in the offseason. I think as a freshman, he, had, he took some lumps. Um, you know, he was really good from an instinct standpoint from you know kind of a technical coverage standpoint he would get burned especially from more experienced receivers um so i think he's made some strides in the offseason nobody's ever complained about darnay's work ethic um so he's put in a lot of work in the offseason you can see it just physically um so i think 
corners are going to be a strength. Um, I think the secondary as a whole will be a strength. I think Adarius Pickett has made some strides from last year towards the end of the year. He was looking a lot better than he did at the beginning of the year. And then Quentin Lake, I would almost make an argument that he'll be an improvement over Jaleel Wadud, even as a um, as a new starter. Um, Wadud, I, I just don't know that he ever made the impact people were necessarily expecting out of high school at safety, but he did start for, I think, three years. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think the secondary should be a strength. I think the defensive line will be good. Um, I think a lot of what were UCLA's run game issues last year in defending against the run were primarily scheme related and also some weakness at linebacker. But I think the defensive line with a new scheme that's a little bit more aggressive, um, I think they're going to be good. I think Chigozi Naruka, who's slated to start at nose tackle, I think he's a really good player. Uh, maybe not an ideal nose tackle, but he's a disruptor from the defensive stack, tackle spot. Uh, Moses Robinson Carr is somebody I'm really interested to see. He plays kind of a four-eye defensive end, um, where sort of that DeForest Buckner role. Um, and I think he's going to be interesting. Rick Wade, I think, has a chance to be an impact player on the defensive line. I think that's a good group. Um, I think they could do a, a lot of good if this is a if this is an aggressive scheme. Um, the on on offense, I would say the strength. Um, they have a lot of bodies at running back. I don't know that they have an impact player. Um, you know, Casimir Allen's a true freshman. Uh, he's the only one with real elite speed. Um, so I don't know if you could call running back a strength. I don't know if you can call wide receiver a strength. I think if you're, if you're picking a strength on offense, it's got to be tight end. Uh, they have Caleb Wilson, who's gone from, what was he, a walk-on at USC to be yeah. maybe a top three or four player at UCLA. Uh, he's a stud. Um, he can, he's fast for his size. I mean, he's a big dude, but he's fast and he can catch basically anything thrown his way. Um, he was an impact player last year before getting hurt. Uh, he's now healthy, um, looks great in the, uh, player run practices. Um, and then he is number one. And then number two is Devin Asiasi, who's a former, Five-star prospect who went to Michigan, transferred in last year, sat out the year. But when you know when we were watching practice last year, he looked like one of the best players on the team, and he was just redshirting. Um, so he'll be the number two tight end. They can play both of those guys a lot. Um, but if you're wondering one difference between a Chip Kelly offense at Oregon and a Chip Kelly offense at UCLA, UCLA might be playing two tight ends a lot uh, because they just happen to be two of the best players offensively. Asiasi is more of an inline tight end. He can block big time, but he also can get out there and, and catch balls downfield. I think they'll present matchup pr- trouble for basically any team that doesn't have real athletes at linebacker. Um, so I think whoever ends up winning the quarterback job is going to be leaning on those two guys. Um, and then the weaknesses, offensive line, I don't think there's a way you can call it a strength at this point. Um, we'll see how it develops in the fall, but I would, I would say that's going to be a weakness that they're going to have to mitigate with you know, scheme, um, tempo, all those different things. Um, I'd say receiver in general, not tight end specifically, but receiver in general is a weakness. Um, Theo Howard, I think he could be an impact player for Chip Kelly, but he hasn't shown it quite yet um, uh, as his first two years in the program. So it'll be interesting to see what he's capable of doing this year. Um, It seems like it's a fit for him you know, catch a short one or two yard pass and then just make some play with your legs. That seems like a fit for him, but we will see if he's able to get it all down and and put together a nice year. Um, 
And then uh, defensively, I would say linebacker is an issue. Um, you know, we we didn't see much good from this group last year. I think Chris Barnes could be an impact player, but he's going to have to shake off um, whatever it was last year. I, I blame a lot of scheme um, on why the linebackers were so bad, but um, there there's there's some wrinkles to work out there. So I would say linebackers defensively and then uh, offensive line and, and the receiver position offensively. And you could probably throw in running backs as a weakness too, just because nobody has yet run away with it. Um, Bolo will run from me and Sosa Jamabo are back, but neither of them has been incredible at UCLA. Um, Sosa Jamabo, a former five-star, has just never been quite living up to that level of, uh, of prospect. So, um, It'll be interesting. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of those weaknesses are things that Chip Kelly was able to mitigate at Oregon with scheme. You know, running that tempo blur covered up a lot of sins, especially on the offensive line, especially at receiver, and especially at running back. So um, we will see. It's the strengths could be weaknesses, and the weaknesses could be strengths. We just don't know. We have no <laughs> idea. It's July. That's why, because we don't know yet. It's beautiful. Um, well, that was great. Very thorough. Good stuff there. Uh, any other interesting news before we wrap up the preview? Um, Brian Addison, a potential impact freshman, got his release uh, this week. Um, he is uh, he uh, some test score that UCLA requires that nobody else requires got flagged by the testing board, so he got his full release. I think he'll be eligible to play immediately. So if he decides to go to another Pac-12 school, that'll be interesting for somebody else's preview. Um, but that's a guy who is potentially going to make an impact who won't be around. Um, I don't know if there was anything else super significant. Some guys left the program, but I don't, you know, it was a lot of guys in the spring that we've already talked about. So, uh, no, nothing else super interesting. We'll see if there's any other news heading into fall camp. We'll get a lot of news probably this week at uh, media day. I think it was in general, a slower college football off season. Yeah. Yeah. Just across the country. Like there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't think there was much else. Okay. Well, should we uh, jump into some questions? Let's do it. Um, all right. So we have Andrew that we're starting off with. Um, over under win totals. Uh, he says, hi, Ryan and Dave. Big fan of the show and have listened since the start. This may have been done before, but with all the questions answered over the last couple months, I can't remember. Can you go through the over-under win total for each team and let us listeners know what you think? Example, Arizona has an over-under of seven wins. I think that is low, and they will win nine or ten games. All right, you want to do this? Yeah, so we just go through the teams he puts there. And you already projected this, so this will be kind of more on the fly for me. But Yeah, let's uh, do it. This will be fun. Okay. All right, so Washington, ten wins. You predicted 11? I predicted 11. I'm going to go over on this, too. All right. Over? Um, I, I probably wouldn't bet on ten, on over um, here. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's my play. Uh, USC, nine wins? That seems right for me. So I, I don't know if I would go either way. Um, I wouldn't bet on this one. Yeah. Uh, I'd go under, but again, it's within a win of my projection. I have them in an eight and four, so I wouldn't bet on it. But I yeah. would go. I would go under. Uh, that one seems like right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Stanford eight and a half. Now that one's kind of tasty for me. I would go over on this one because I think it's going to be nine. But they, you know, but that's it's close too. Like it's about right, I would think. But this I would feels take this, the over. this feels like slam the under for me. 
Because I, really? I have them at seven and five. So oh, yeah. one and a half okay. wins over my total. That gives me essentially two wins of wiggle room. I'm, 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 I'm taking my under there. Because okay, I picked Stanford to finish second. And you did not. Yeah. So okay. um, Washington State, seven and a half. Yeah, this one's pretty clear under for me. Like, I would think six and six is about right. So, yeah, I would hit the under here. Uh, yeah. Oregon, seven and a half. I think I go over on this one. I go I think over, be... and like, so these last three Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon, those would all be bettable for me because they're one and a half away from my projection. Yeah. So, Oregon, I have them at nine and three. So, seven and a half feels low to me. Um, here's the wild one Arizona, seven wins. Yeah, that he mentioned that in the question. Uh, I'm I predicted them to finish third in the South. I think it's going to be over seven wins. Yeah, I have them at nine and three, so I'm I'm taking the over and, and hitting it hard there. Uh, Utah seven wins. Yeah, I got them uh, winning the, the the South, so definitely over for me on that one. That's exactly my win prediction seven. So I would not bet either way. Uh, you you realize though that like. Like our one of our biggest fan bases are Utah fans. They're gonna hate you now. You picked them to finish fifth. But it was like a tied for third, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just but... tough. It's just I think it's a tough schedule this year. It is tough, yeah. Um but you basically hate Utah, is I what know. you're saying. Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. Uh Colorado, five and a half. <sighs> I think I'll go under. I would slap that under so hard. Yeah. Two and a half wins over my total. Uh, UCLA, five and a half. Uh, that's, see, that's real close for me. I would think, I think this is a five and seven or a six and six team. So I, I, I wouldn't bet it. It's about right where I would think. Me too. I have, a, I have UCLA at six and six. So this is a bear over for me. Um, Cal at five and a half. Yeah, I think I go over on this one. I think they're going to win. Six or seven games at least. Yeah, I, I I would go over. I'd probably bet it. I have them at seven and five. Uh, ASU five wins. I think it's about right. Although I finished the the I I'll pick under because I picked them to finish last. But I I, I think they could have a better 2018 than maybe I'm expecting, and then it kind of goes downhill from there. But. I'm just going to go with my gut and say under on that one. They're right in line with mine, five and seven, so I would not bet. Um, if I had to pick one or the other, it would probably be the under. Um, and then Oregon State, three wins. <sighs> it's hard to pick under three wins, but I'll, I'll go under. Yeah, I'd go under two. I wouldn't bet it, but I'd go under. Yeah, it's okay. tough. Come on, Beavs. We don't, we don't want to see this, but... What I'm excited about is I did not consult the over-unders when I was doing my picks, and... A lot of them were right in line, so I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I think you feel big. Yeah, you should feel good about it. That's good. Um, all right, so we got suggestion for off-season podcast. Is this? Well, we're really not. I don't think are we taking suggestions. Okay, uh, this is from Rusty. Guys, I frequently listen to your podcast during the active season last year because your discussions were intelligent and objective. Also, you clearly are well-read and educated and not even remotely like the superficial dumbass crackers wow. and loudmouth dickheads that one finds on commercial radio. <laughs> Jesus. That's, well, but guns blazing, Rusty. I wow, just coming out, throwing fire. Yeah, uh, but last week I had to take 
uh, a three-hour bus ride and decided to listen to your latest off-season podcast. And guys, it didn't crank my tractor. <laughs> okay. I'm not interested in the names of children cutting the cord from your internet server, how you are structure future podcasts, etc. I am not criticizing the podcast is your gig. Like say, like I, I said, just, it just did oh, not crank my tractor. Yeah. Uh, but I do believe you could do much better. And so I'm writing to suggest that for the off season, you boys attempt to generate interesting topics and then cover such topics in detail. You both have the smarts, sophistication, and inside info to make it interesting for guys like me who enjoy the interface of college football with all types of areas of inquiry that can be the subject of discussion. Uh, example, the culture and demographic of fans, players, and coaches, economics and politics of college football across different regions of the country or demographic groups, etc. I have lots of topics to suggest for the offseason. So if you bite, I will write back to suggest topics for the remainder of the, this offseason. But for next week, I suggest you survey the topic of Herm Edwards. Uh, somehow his firing fascinates me, uh, but I don't have time in my professional and family life to trace down and Google answers to questions that I wonder about. Why Herm? Uh, was this an intelligent and principled hire? Or was this a nut job hiring? Is uh, was there a model of coaching that the AD had in mind when hiring Herm? How is the fan base responding? Does it make any sense to you what will happen? Again, guys, I'm not criticizing. I just hope to have something worth listening to when I return from the wilds of clams, grizzlies, and fucking mosquitoes of the great far north. We will see. Fucking giant mosquitoes of the great far north. We need to uh, need to hit that. Um, I have a theory about this email, by the way. You do? Okay. I think, so this is obviously a euphemism. Uh, this is Rusty Fence. Um, <laughs> I think this is our man Hitler Day. Oh, maybe. And there was one tell in here for me. He said, okay. you boys, which is a very Hitler Day thing to say. It is. But now here's the thing. Um, Hitler Day had listened to, we had Chris Cartman on when, um, Herm was hired and we went into all of this detail. We talked about all of this like for weeks about Herm Edwards. So Hitler Day would know that, wouldn't he? That we had already. I would think covered. so. I would think so. But I, 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 I don't know. That's my theory. Hitler Day, get back to us. Let me know. Let me know if this was you. I want to know. With the rusty, rusty fence. Um, yeah. And so, and rusty, if you were listening too, you, you didn't, you weren't interested in, what we're going to do upcoming shows, but you're suggesting what we're doing in upcoming shows. So if you listened, we're telling you we are no longer doing off season stuff. We are no longer talking about soccer or, um, names or cutting the cord. We are now previewing the actual teams that play in the conference of champions. So, yeah. you know, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe listen a little bit rusty, but you know, fair, uh, that you don't like what our off season stuff is. But if you compare it to last year, would you rather listen to nothing or Star Wars? I guess it's, so that's up to you. That's the real question. Nothing or Star Wars. <laughs> it's always the question. Yeah. Um, we, we, we did nothing or we did weird stuff. You know, so. <laughs> um, all right. So we got a text message. This is just a comment. Um, old joke regarding fans. UCLA fans are fans because they went to UCLA. USC fans are USC fans because they went to Target. Nice. I don't quite get it, but yes. Well, because they bought apparel at Target. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, we had that whole topic. Yeah, we had the whole discussion. Yeah, about we had that whole thing, thing last week. So that's a 
That's an oldie, an oldie but a goodie. Yes. Oh God, you got a long one. You want me to do uh, this one because I just did. Yeah, you one. do this one. I'm... <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. I'm stretching. Okay. This is from Shane. Mr. Abraham, Mr. Woods, I sat on this for a couple of days, and you guys blew my mind dropping the Bye Felicia episode on a Sunday before I could launch a fully formed response back to Michael, and then Stephen Salt Lake wrote most of my email for me. He just added an extra reference to the manager from Major League, the most accurate comparison ever for a bar patron in Laramie. So at this point, I'll try to shift some of my energy away from Michael Burgers and Star Wars mode over to football preview mode. By the way, Husky fans, there's a Habit Burger in Shoreline Edmonds. Go. It really is the best fast food burger bar none. Shane is my boy. All right. When Michael followed his opus complaint about summer podcast subject relevance with a critique of Denver and Salt Lake City population size, did he have specific schools in mind for expansion, or was he just upset when he found out there wasn't a New York City waiting for us somewhere in Idaho? Unless we had actually grabbed that brass ring with the Texas and Oklahoma schools back in 2010, or if that opportunity comes up again, we're not expanding any further east, and we don't need to expand in the west as we already have penetration in those cities. There's no universe where the Pac-12 looks to add schools like Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, or, for God's sakes, fucking Rutgers. The Pac-12 presidents are never inviting schools on that level to swim in the academic country club with Stanford, Cal, USC, USC, uh, UCLA, USC, and UW. Yeah, yeah, I see you, Frank Cush, College of Arizona State, chasing University of Phoenix on your way to becoming a giant DeVry satellite campus. <laughs> wow, that's wow. Uh, just to get into the number 17 TV market or whatever for football games. There's a whole separate conversation to be had about the future of advertising revenue and cord cutting a la carte subscri- uh, in, the, in a cord cutting a la carte subscription world, but we'll save that for next summer, I guess. Uh, expansion isn't really our issue. Getting a few million more people across access to the Pac-12 network who don't give a shit about its content isn't really our issue. Treating football like a religion in our own footprint is our issue. Letting the religion of football dictate the network content is our issue. This is where we're falling behind. At this point, our school presidents seem to consider football a proportionally appropriate piece of the collegiate experience on the level with women's volleyball and an active campus recycling program. That is where the Pac-12 goes wrong. If we want to compete at the highest levels in football, we need to treat football more like Adams College before the nerds showed up. (laughs) Good Revenge of the Nerds reference there. Uh, Honestly, at this point, the SEC laughs at Michael's list of TV markets. After Houston and Atlanta, their TV markets fall off a cliff, but all of those schools are maximizing every potential touchpoint with football fans feeding that passion and that demand for more content, and they're committing to it generationally. The SEC Network and the Big Ten Network both fulfill enough football interest to be included in some basic cable packages nationwide because the fans of those schools are demanding that football content and won't settle for anything less. Our fans are not. It goes without saying that none of those programs are doing anything to strategically undercut their own success. The SEC isn't stepping out of line to wholesale decline bowl game invitations for its 5- and 6-win teams. They understand what the extra exposure and extra 15 practices do for those middle-of-the-road programs. Why the fuck would anybody do that? There's literally no reason to do that. The other conferences know what that extra game means to their fans, and they're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to make it happen. The Pac-12 doesn't seem to care. Bottom line, let's maximize the hand we're playing before calling for new cards. There's plenty of work to be done on our football culture internally before we start working on stretching ourselves any farther. It starts with boosters and ubers working through their ADs, up through our presidents, and ultimately to our network to stop showing classic volleyball on Pac-12 Washington. Classic volleyball is not a thing. Shane. Then he has questions, Ryan. Oh man. Well, I mean, all I mean, real quick, all good points uh, there. It's culturally, it's it's different, but there's we talked about this before. 
you have to eliminate the self-inflicted wounds. Um, and you can, there's a lot of ways this, I don't think it can be fixed. It's not going to become the sec, but you can make it better than what it is. I think the gap is only getting worse. And, and a lot of that is controlled by schools, presidents and the, and the, uh, you know, the conference brass as well. Yep. All right. Question. Am I wrong about this or does it just mean more elsewhere? I think Ryan just answered that essentially. You're not wrong. You're right. And then yeah. question for USC. What is the perspective of the Rose Bowl for USC fans in the era of the college football playoff? Fetters asked the question on Dogman last week. Would Husky fans rather sign up today for a Rose Bowl appearance or take our chances in the 2018 season and potentially get a berth in the playoff? Answers seem pretty split, but it's been 17 years since the dogs got to Pasadena, so there's an entire generation who remembers that feeling through a context that has changed around them or doesn't remember it at all. Does it carry the same luster for SE fans after 34 appearances and 24 wins, or will Trojan fans be disappointed in another Rose Bowl appearance or two without a college football playoff appearance in the next four years? Um, I think I think the Rose Bowl just has always been special for for USC fans. They've you know they've won more than other any other school has gone. I think they have 25 wins in the Rose Bowl. Um, the fact that you could take a one and three season where they were calling for Clay Helton and Everyone was like, this is the worst ever. And then the fact that they went on that run and beat, you know, they beat Washington in that run, but a lot of mediocre teams on the way. Uh, exciting game. They could have easily lost against Penn State, but that win in the Rose Bowl, like, changed the perception of the whole season. It did a lot. So I think the Rose Bowl, a win in the Rose Bowl, still means a lot for USC fans, even in this college football playoff era. They haven't, you know, they haven't had a taste of the playoff yet. So I think... I think winning the Rose Bowl would still make fans feel good, um, you know, especially if they were maybe snubbed for the playoff. But if they like, you know, got blown out by like Notre Dame again or something, and, and it, something like that kept them out of the playoff, it's. I don't think they look at it as much of a consolation prize. I still think it would be important. It still holds a lot of weight in the USC community, despite you know the this era of college pl- football playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. I agree. Okay. Uh, okay, this one, sorry, Ryan, this is from, uh, Bill, it looks like, dear Ryan and Dave, Dave, you're my second favorite Bruin because there is a Bruin friend of mine that I've known for 35 years, he's number one, FYI, here in this PhD at USC, mm-hmm. um, so maybe if you got a PhD at USC, Dave, that you could, uh, yeah, that'll maybe, happen, you could jump up, uh, on Bill's, he said, also, Thanks uh, for getting that. I was only kidding in my past email that your podcast was poorly produced. It was, it is a well-produced and entertaining podcast. Every episode, Ryan, I've written to you and Dan Weber several times on the Peristyle podcast. You've always given me great answers to my questions there. I'd never trash a Trojan. I want your soccer podcast. How about for April 1st, 2019 fight on Ryan ruin on Dave. That'd be beautiful. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I took I, I felt I felt bad when he was saying that we or it's poorly produced. I'm not that's great, but we try. We we put a lot of effort into it. So, but thank you for that, Bill. All right, this is from Anthony. Podcast questions for the two four seven contributors. All right, so these are questions he wants us to ask of the two four seven people. So, you as the official organizer of this podcast, maybe we want to make a note for these. Crap. Okay, <laughs> it's work. Um, all right, but we can answer, work. we can answer these questions for USC and UCLA. Uh, what do you think is the floor and ceiling this season for the team you cover? 
So for USC, what's the floor from a win total standpoint and what's the ceiling? I think floor would be if like a really bad season would be like a six and six ish sort of thing. They would have to lose to Texas, lose to Stanford, lose to Arizona on the road, lose to Utah. Like they, they could get there. Um, it, I think it would be, I, it's a pretty low floor, but I think that's if everything kind of goes poorly and you don't, you know, it's some horrible quarterback situation. I think you could do that. But I mean, ceiling, I think they, they're talented enough that they could make the college football playoff. You know, like I, I'm not saying that's off the table. It's, it, I think it's unlikely, but um, I, I wouldn't be like utterly shocked if something like that, if they got, you know, a few breaks, they, they beat Texas, they beat um, Stanford and they're able to make a run. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's the potential there. You'd have to beat Texas and Notre Dame and win the Pac-12. And if you do all that, I think you would be in the playoff. All right, UCLA's floor. I, I agree. I think that's all fair. Um, USC's floor or UCLA's floor, I think, is four and eight. Um, I think no matter how you slice it, I think they're beating Cincinnati. And then among ASU, Colorado, Cal, I mean, I, I, I think they're pulling at least two wins there. And then if you've got Fresno State, and then among the winnable games where they might be only, you know, a point favorite or a point dogs like Fresno State, Cal, um, Utah, um, you know, Arizona at home. Um, I, I think they're going to win at least one of those, even in a bad worst case scenario. So I think four and eight is probably the reasonable floor. I think the ceiling, I look under no circumstances do I think they're beating Oklahoma or Washington. And I think out on the road at Oregon is going to be supremely tough. I think every other game is in some way winnable. I think they can beat USC. It's at the Rose Bowl, um, which is always a big deal in this rivalry. Uh, UCLA generally plays better at the Rose Bowl. Um, I think USC has the talent advantage, but if USC's quarterback position doesn't coalesce and UCLA's does, I think that could tell the tale in that game. Um, Stanford at home, I think that's winnable. Um, I don't think it's a great opportunity but I think it's winnable so I don't know if I would say the ceiling's nine and three um I think eight and four is probably more reasonable but I, I think there there was there was a live scenario where they could get to nine and three so I guess that does indicate that it's the ceiling um but anywhere from four and eight to nine and three is like completely I think on the table all right um so the next one's breakout player yeah so who do you think will be the breakout player this season for USC. So I guess this is a guy who had not previously made an impact. Yeah. Um, I think there's some potential. I mean, obviously and if it's like, let's a, rule out the quarterback. Okay. This is not going to say JT Daniels, but um, I think on offense, I think I'm on St. Brown is going to play and he's going to be a big contributor. Uh, there's a, there's some pressure on defense, but I love Levi Jones. He's a really athletic uh, linebacker. Um, he just, I don't know why he didn't get an opportunities on defense last year. He got some special team stuff. I think he'll be in the mix this year and will start making plays, and then you're not going to be able to keep him off the field. So it's kind of out there because we haven't really seen a whole lot of him, but I'll pick Levi Jones. I'll go with the guy I've mentioned a couple of times, Moses Robinson Carr. Uh, transitioned from tight end to defensive end. Looked great in the spring. I think he could make an impact this year, potentially even start at uh, one of the end spots. So. I'll go with him. Maybe Chris Barnes, if he really uh, makes up for last year. Um, I think he could make an impact at linebacker, but I'll go Moses Robinson Carr for now. Nice. Um, okay. And then which game are you most looking forward to for the team you cover? 
Uh, going to Texas, I haven't seen a game there, so that would be the the one USC at Texas. I think uh, UCLA at Oklahoma could be a bloodbath, but it also might be very fun. Um, I think if UCLA is competitive in that one, that will go a long way toward, uh, I think, uh, getting closer to the ceiling for the season. Um, and even if it's a bloodbath, I mean, it's always cool to see, uh, you know, Pac-12 team in that kind of atmosphere. Um, so basically the same reasons as why you're uh, interested in the Texas win or the Texas game. Nice. Um, and then who would be your preseason college football playoff picks? God, I haven't really thought about this very much. So, I, I, I mean, this is just like top of the head thing. But I think I would go, I mean, I think Alabama will be back. Uh, I think I'll go with Washington, um, eh, Ohio State, and Clemson, I guess. I don't know. I, I really haven't looked at it all that much. What, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with... Alabama. I'm going to go Washington. And then I'm going to go... Why not just keep it the same? I'm going to go Clemson. Okay. Um, And then I will say that the Big 12 gets shut out this year. It's the Big 10. And let's go crazy. Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. So we'll go Michigan, Alabama, Washington, and Clemson. Nice. Okay. Well, that, there's some pressure on Harbaugh to. Uh, I think he's like one and nine or one and eight against like Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan State teams or something like that. Like he's not doing very well against the the big rivalry game. So no, this, but they were kind of building for this year. So we'll see. Okay. We have uh, Steve in Salt Lake. Uh, hey guys, since you're Diving into team previews, my question would be about the long-term job security of each program's head coach over the next three to four years. UCLA. If UCLA doesn't win the South over the next four years, will Chip Kelly still be the head coach? Mm. So that includes this year? So four years? Yeah, there's no way they're firing him after four years. I mean, maybe he decides to leave, but I, I don't think they're firing him after four years. They've made too much of an investment, and I think it's just... (laughs) <laughs> they're going to have to really regroup mentally if Chip Kelly somehow doesn't work out, <laughs> right? Like if yeah. if UCLA finally made the 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 hire of all hires and and you know did the offseason right for once, and then still things don't quite work out right. Um, I think I mean UCLA might give up football at that point. Just go full Ivy. <laughs> just call it a day. Whatever. This isn't going to work out. Um, so uh, no, I, I think he'll still be the head coach even if they don't win the South. I don't think they're firing him over the next four years unless there's some scandal, you know, like or if they went for... if they were disastrous, like if they are, if they're like two and ten a couple of times and it's really really bad, maybe. But if they're like you know pretty good but not winning the South, say they're like seven and five, eight and four each of these four years, there's no way, like there's no yeah. way they're firing him. And I would think the two and ten thing that would have to be like at the four year mark. Like I don't think you could fire him before that. Like you know, two really... and ten this year, I think is that'll be completely that won't even that won't even nothing. Factor in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then USC, if USC doesn't make the playoff in the next four years, will Clay Helton still be the head coach? Um, I could see a scenario where they he is, but they would have to be like really good like they have to win the pack 12 a couple of times and win like the rose bowl a couple of times but just not make the playoff 
that might be enough to like keep them around. Now, I think there'd still be fans that are upset because you're that close. You gotta, you know, gotta get and make a playoff. But um, there's, I, I see a scenario where that could happen. It would be tough to fire a guy if he's like winning the Rose Bowl and winning the Pac-12, but just not making the playoff. All right. So he averages. Here's here here's. I'll present this scenario then. He averages eight and a half wins the next four years and wins the Pac-12 once. Doesn't even sniff the playoffs. Is he still the head coach? Uh, I said no. Okay. Yeah, I think they would. I think at that point, if it's like eight and a half wins, no. Like it would have to be like he's won ten and eleven the last two years, and there's still people like saying they don't want him as the head coach. So, um, if he was doing that for the next four years, it's like still good, but not making the playoff. Those same people would still be upset. But I think that would it would be tough to fire a guy in that situation. Now they take steps back and they're only winning the Pac-12 once over that four year. Yeah, then I think you have justification. Sure. Okay. My opinion. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. Uh, also for the 2000, was I reading this one? I guess I was. Okay, I forget. Like you were. Also for the 2018 season, which is more likely to happen? UCLA is ranked in the top 20 at some point during the season, or JT Daniels throws 19 touchdowns before his 19th birthday, which, according to Wikipedia, is in. February. Thanks, guys. Steve in Salt Lake. Ooh. That's a good one. Um, okay. I, I think the way the schedule breaks out, I, I don't think there's a chance UCLA is ranked in the top 20 at some point during the season just because they've got such a tough start where they're going to have Oklahoma in week two and then Fresno State in week three and then Washington in week five. So for them to get into the top 20, I think they will have to have pulled off an upset. Right, they would have had to have. I mean, at three and one after beating Cincinnati, Fresno State, and Colorado, and only losing to Oklahoma, are they in the top twenty? I have to doubt it. Yeah. Um, shoot, I I think it's hard. I I don't see them being a top twenty five team this year. Uh, in like maybe Dave scenario where you sneak in if you get some early wins, but. I don't think so. It would require uh, an upset. They'd have to either beat Oklahoma or beat Washington in the first five games, and I just don't see it. Yeah, but I think it's it would be fairly easy for JT Daniels to have 19 touchdowns this year. I mean, he might not play at all, but like I think that's that would be a more likely scenario for me. That's the one that feels more possible, for sure. Yeah. Um, interesting. All right. Uh, cool. Thanks for those, Steve. All right. Uh, this is from Frank in Sacramento. This is our last email. Good. All right. Um, One last soccer thought. Uh, Ryan and Dave, we had a good laugh over soccer this summer, but one of you touched on adding a blue line to the game in a recent podcast. This is a really good idea, and it creates scoring chances in hockey that soccer needs. It would remove the judgment calls from the soccer linesman because everyone can see the blue line and would end the momentum killer of defenders rushing forward when the ball is in the air to throw an attacker offside. Also, an attacker could hang out around the blue line to create fast breaks every few minutes in what we all agree is a boring game. Yeah, I like it. Good. I mean, I would like soccer aficionado. I don't know if Frank is, but that was just kind of my idea. Like, that makes more sense. I hate when defenders can run forward and make you offsides. It's like, or or eliminate that rule. Like, you where you were, that's where the line is or something. Not where you run forward towards. I don't know. Something like that. I would like to see that gone. But I think soccer, like, purists would tell you 50 reasons why that wouldn't work. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think that uh, I think that makes a ton of sense. Cool. All right. Well, that's pretty good stuff, Dave. We we did this in an hour and 57 minutes, which is impressive. Yeah, I think I told my parents it would probably take me an hour, so I was a little off, but what are, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do? We yeah. spent half an hour breaking down our projections for this year. Yeah, I guess it was a lot. So I'm, I'm curious to see. we got to figure out who we're going to talk to uh, next week. Yeah. Uh, which teams we're going to preview. But, uh, yeah, we got some good suggestions, too, for other questions we can ask. So Cool. Uh, like it. All right. Well, Dave, I guess we're done. I think we're done. Yeah. Well, thank you, David Woods, for recording this and uh, dealing with me while I'm on the road. And uh, hope your keyboard's working fine now and everything. Oh, yeah. Know? My enter key is uh, functional again. So your enter key was just not working? Yeah, it was not working. Um, a couple other keys were a little bit weird, too. But then I got a new keyboard, and now it all works because that Perfect. one was broken. Nice. It's great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening uh, to the podcast of Champions. That is David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham, and we will talk to you next time.